In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammy and Sandy. Rob Rao is our guest this week on Money Tales. Rob describes being raised by immigrant parents who came to this country with limited resources as living in the shadows. It was easy to blend in and not be recognized for his potential. Rob had a key ally helping him persevere. He describes his mother as an incredible dreamer who thought bigger of her children. Rob did not disappoint. He's come to realize that you need to have people in your life that give you hope. And he's leveraged hope his whole life. Let me tell you more about Rob. He comes from the worlds of material science, physics, biomechanical engineering, and holds patents in all these spaces. Rob is currently working on merging artificial intelligence into the space of medical analytics, focusing specifically on computer vision. Here are three key money topics Rob hits on in this conversation. First, how he learned from his father that Meek does not mean weak, and there are important ways to harness quiet power. Second, how his divorce taught Rob to both respect money and think about it as a driver toward achieving his goals. And third, how his life experience has taught him to be curious about everything, including money. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now on to our conversation with Rob Brow. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cammie Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Sandy, I just want to reflect on the conversation we had yesterday with two friends from the industry, from the financial services industry, and really how special it was that we talked business, but probably my favorite part was when we talked personal. It was so fun. One of our friends was talking about, she's newish in a relationship. She's got a boyfriend. And when we were talking about money tales and the importance of talking about money, she said, I get it. This is really awkward. I don't even know how to have that conversation with my boyfriend. And we gave her some tips using some of our favorite money tales questions, encouraging her to start with questions about how money was handled in his youth and what his experience was. And hers. And hers as well. Because she started talking about hers and I loved it. That's when the magic happens, right, Sandy? It does happen. And she was a little worried. Well, what happens if he closes down and he doesn't say anything? And we said, well, that tells you a lot about the relationship. (laughs) I was appreciative of the skills I've learned as a result of this experience on Money Tales and our amazing guests who teach me every conversation. And to be able to share that with someone else who I really adore, that was fantastic. It just felt wonderful. 
I did. And I think she appreciated it too. I hope we can dig into some other tips from our guest today. Welcome, Rob Rao, to the Money Tales podcast. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. It's an honor. Oh, thanks, Rob. Would you provide a brief introduction and in that share a couple pivotal moments that have taken place in your life that really influenced who you are today? The biggest is being born to some incredible parents. I had an incredible immigrant family. My parents came from a country that didn't have a lot when they left. That really influenced, which will influence our conversation about money and dreams and opportunity. Being a person of color, we lived in the shadows too. As an immigrant, you had to live in the shadows. So that influenced my ability to do things in the world and obviously made me think a little different. I was a child born with learning disabilities too. So I had attention deficits. So it was very difficult for me to focus and I was being thrown out of schools routinely. But I had a mother who was an incredible dreamer. She thought bigger of her children. They were definitely average in her mind, but we've proven her different in a lot of ways. But she definitely never gave up either. She never let people push us down to a point that we couldn't get back up. And those are huge. And then growing up in that environment, Watching my father, who was an entrepreneur, and struggle and go through that influenced how I became who I became. As any place in life, you need to have people that give you hope. And I had that. I had hope along the way. I met many people that taught me how to live in this world and really react to people. And most important is to really be curious and really not judgmental. Keep your mind wide open, which when I was a child, that was not the case. I was pretty angry. But as I get older and as I run my own company, I begin to understand that really meet people where they are, gain that strength and bring them up with you. That is a gift. And that's what, to me, great leadership comes to be. And if you have great leadership, you build great teams, you have great access to capital, you will make things happen. I consult with companies all the time and I ask every one of these people that I deal with, I'm on five different boards and I say, what is your why? Give me that definition. And I don't want to hear some vanilla business school answer. I want to know <laughs> in your heart, what is it? As Maya Angelou said, they'll never remember what you say, but they'll definitely remember how they feel when you say it. And if you can get people to feel you, they will see you. And if they see you, then you can tell the story. And the story will gain you whatever it is you need, whether that's a sales deal, whether that's a financial transaction, or whether that's the ability to get money that you need. But if I can't believe you, why would I come with you? And, and if you look at any real investment, we buy on hope. When you look at stock, it's paper, fake paper money, really. You're buying an idea of a company that says it can do X. Is it always the case? Probably not. When you look at GE, you look at the history of a Thomas Edison or a Westinghouse, and you see Nikola Tesla, you buy that. You're buying Nikola. Did Nikola know that AC power would work? Probably not. But I bought his hope. And that's what I tell people. And my mother gave me that hope. My mom and dad both. My dad's the most optimistic person I've ever known. Huge Napoleon Hill guy back in his time. And he just is a never say die kind of guy. At 83, he refuses to back down. He keeps telling me today, son, I just like a clean death. So that's why he walks five miles a day on a bum knee. He just refuses. He will not accept that you can't put in more work to get where you need to be. He won't believe that. And he definitely doesn't believe that of his kids. This is beautiful. Since you're bringing up your dad, I really appreciate you saying that being a person of color and an immigrant, that you lived in the shadows. 
And I'm curious in the shadows, how did you learn about money and how did your relationship around money develop? My father grew up on a rice paddy. He was a very intelligent man, but he was burdened with money. He had to support. And so when they came to America, my dad came here with $10 in his pocket. He worked as a security guard, even though he was engineer, at $140 a week in New York City to get my mother across the board. They came with nothing or clothes on their back. Their view of money was, we need this to get freedom. We're going to save every penny, even if they're buried in their pillows. My mother used to have a suitcase that her delinquent son used to go in and take 20 bucks out of, which I should have never done, but it was her secret savings. But that's what he did. Well, it was there. (laughs) (laughs) It clearly wasn't hidden properly, right? But it was always with them. My mother especially. My mother knew poverty. Her dad died when he was 55. And he left seven kids in the lynch. And my grandmother had a fourth grade education. So my mother knew that if she didn't deliver, they would not eat. And that was a big responsibility. And so they put that in us. This is not easy. This is what you get is not what people get in the world. And then along with that, my dad also gave me a work ethic. So I started businesses very young age. I was cutting grasses. I remember my brother and sister aren't like me. They would just book sell at school. And I outsold my list and theirs in the neighborhood. That was my deal. But my dad, his friends would be like, wow, look at what Robbie's got going on. I had all kinds of things running. I used to run a a landscaping business. I tried to start a dog walking business. I used to deliver papers. But I saw a way that if I could mobilize my energy as a human being and be seen in the world, the world would see me and I could do bigger than my father. I always believed that nobody saw my father. And I was wrong about that. There's a difference between being meek and weak. There's meekness is Abraham Lincoln. My father is a meek man. He is not weak. And that power, that quiet power is something it took me years to harness. But once I figured that out, then I was able to actually make different position moves. But in my world, money was freedom. I always looked at my parents like, why can't I get a pair of shoes? Well, go earn it if you want it. But in general, it was always a question of, do you realize what your cousins have? Do you realize what people don't have? When you ask me for those things, think about who's missing. And that's how they thought. They thought about a larger existence. My aunts and uncles are like that to this day. It's almost like a fear. And when you're hungry once, you never forget what it's like to be hungry. When your refrigerator might be as full to the T, my mother's hungry. She was hungry, no doubt. And she's got a freezer full of stuff. I'm like, mom, who are you feeding? You're 79 years old. But that is the mentality. Once you don't have, no matter how much you get, you never change the mentality that you could go back there once again. Whereas I never knew that. My thinking was, then they gave me that. I mean, I saw it, but I was like, you know what? I'm not going to live like that. That's a gift. It was a gift. My grandmother once told me, she said she had starved once. And I said, Grandma, how did you survive starvation? She said, my love, God will give you what you need, not from the people you expect. So when God gives it, you take it. She said, it'll never be your case because you can read and write. But if it does, that's what will happen. People will come when you need it. That was her core belief in life. And for me, I got a little bit of both. But in general, some of my father's fears of being hungry were huge and what drove me to try to attain a level of success. It's kind of a weird dynamic. Money is the key to all of it. And how do you maintain it? How do you keep it? It sets your freedom and it's got a lot of connotations. Rob, tell us more about that because I think this both and that you're describing is fascinating. And clearly as a young person, you were 
developing your entrepreneurial chops and money was important to you and you were making money. But when did you really learn for yourself that there was more than just money? It sounds like money wasn't the only way for you to be seen. When I got divorced, that's when I lost everything, to be quite frank with you. How old were you at that time? 45. Along the way, I always thought that I would have enough. My parents live with this idea of scarcity. I always thought that the world's big enough and I have abilities. My dad used to always tell me, he said, you're a college-educated young man and you're my son. There will be no reason for you to fail. None. Your uncle, who's got a scarlet fever, he can't hear, he's got to pass. You? Not with me. And not with anybody. You should not think that anyone's going to give you, especially you. You were born with great gifts. Don't forget that. So no matter how bad it gets, you should rely on your tools and find a way up if you can get there. When I went through that divorce, I had failed two companies at that point, just so we're clear. There was this mentality of never giving up. Most entrepreneurs do, and it doesn't really work well when you look at personal finances or lifelong finances or things of that nature, because you don't really think like that. You think, I need to hit a target, and you go into that bomber mentality. Laser-focused. Laser focus and things get lost. When I had to sit back and take an assessment, Rob, you know what? You're not a really nice guy. I'm not sure you're actually a really good dad and you're pretty shitty with your money. You might want to think about maybe changing a couple things about you. I remember one time I was yelling to my mother on the phone. This is in Oakland. I was living in an art commune at the time and I'm an artist too. I make art and that's another thing that I've done. And it's a way that I fulfill myself and hopefully make people happy. But My mother, I was telling her how my money situation was terrible. And my mom said, my mother doesn't curse. Are you done? I said, yes, mom. She said, you are free. Show the man the world I know you to be. I can't talk anymore, son. I got to go. Goodbye. At that moment, I started thinking to myself, she's right. It's time. Enough looking at myself like I'm some kind of loser and start pulling myself up with my bootstrap. And that's when things turned. And that's when I began to really think about how is it that this money that I need or not need is a real driver in everything I'm trying to do. Because it is a core piece. You have to respect it. It's a power in itself. And if you don't respect it, you could lose it, which is what my parents did do. They respected it deeply because they needed it. And it helped. It was a way that they had me as the help. Do you think you weren't respecting it before? Not like my mom and dad, no. What does respect mean to you? There's a fine line between failure and greatness or a gambler and a saver. It's a fine existence. You make that one bet and you're a hero. And if you don't, you're a zero. That's the conundrum that most entrepreneurs play. That's well said. My dad started his company when he was 47 years old. My dad was one of the first entrepreneurs to go back to his country of India. He was one of a thousand that did it. When he left, though, the one thing I'll say about my father, he set the board up right. He refused to leave until every financial responsibility was met. That's what he did. That's what cost him his time. He traded his time for his people. When I look at my life, and this is what my mother was telling me, she said, you had none of those responsibilities. So your shot should be even bigger if that's what you choose to do. A lot of pressure. I was thinking the same thing, Sandy. My mom also was like, you made that choice, my love. It wasn't me. You had any option. I would not do it if I were you. She said that to me a couple of times. She doesn't believe in that. Meaning... Your choice was to be an entrepreneur and start businesses and take this risk? Oh, yeah. She hated that. My mother thought that was the scariest thing in the world. But would she back you? 100%. 
you're in it, she's in it with you, but she's not with you in her mind. You're dragging her along. <laughs> when I came out of that experience, I reloaded and you started to see when time isn't your friend because it's the greatest change element we got and money is what you need. You start to really focus and that's what happened. Tell us more about how you did that, Rob. It sounds like this is all self-discovery and self-motivation. There was that. And then I started saying to myself, what is it I really want? Here I've got seven patents to my name. And where is it that I truly think I can make an impact? And what is it do I love? So I looked at the confluence of what I love, which is helping people. That's a big thing to me. Being able to make impact. Those that have given much, much is expected. That's a true bound to me on my back. And I know I have much. I have been given much. I know that I see things differently. And maybe it's still learning disability, whatever. And I had a responsibility to myself. A lot of people would have rolled out. I can't do that. I just don't have that in me. And I started saying, okay, what is it that I really want to do here? That's when the work and the artificial intelligence took off. I have to come from within. That's Rob. I'm an emotional guy. I'm an emotional warrior. And that emotion, if translated and focused, will translate into success. If it's not, it could be your destruction. But for me, I started looking at what was really important to me, which was my family and this opportunity that I have. And I'm running out of chances. This is it. Now I have to reload for one more run. That's what I keep telling people. I'm like that old lion on the Serengeti. I got knocked out of my pride. I'm living up on a tree. I come down and steal an antelope, but nobody wants to come up there and knock me off. Let him alone. He'll be all right. That's the bad view myself now. Arms hurt. My eyes hurt a little bit. I can't see too good. I got a couple more tricks left. Pull something out. But you're doing it and you've transformed. You've grown a lot from this place after your divorce. And I'm curious, how did this self-discovery and all of this work that you were doing and focus, how's that played out with your family from a money perspective? And I don't mean your parents as much as I do your children and even your ex-wife. My ex-wife, she wanted security. When you're wired like I'm wired, I like to walk on the edge. It's just my story. If I could swim with sharks, I would today. I have to ask a really quick question before I let you answer the real question, which is, when did you have your first money conversation with your wife? That happened probably on date number four or five. At the time, I was a high rising star. I've always had this ability to get around almost like a suited connector on a poker game, but I seem to find the connectors. And I hooked up with a really incredible team and was part of an incredible startup called iPivot. We got bought by Intel. And I was worth a lot of money at that moment. I was 29 years old and we were dating. And so money at that point was like, oh, okay, we have it. At least I thought I had it because it was all sitting in stock grants. Intel actually had the biggest drop, as you would know, in the history of Intel when I had that stock after I got bought. Uh That's my luck. There we go. So it was a paper million. Well, this is interesting because you're squaring it then. Because I was thinking if she wanted security... And you identified that early on. My mother told me that too. When you're young and not that bright, like I wasn't, you make some dumb choices. And I thought, because I'm Rob, this is just my mentality, that maybe we could work that out. So you knew the differences. You were aware of this, what I'm hearing in a simple format. You like taking extreme risk. She likes taking little risk. Zero. Okay. (laughs) I was being kind. Zero (laughs) risk. And you just thought, we'll figure this out. We'll meet in the middle somewhere. 
That was the raw of a 29. That's that lack of curiosity. See, I didn't ask the right question, nor was I curious. And I was being very judgmental. I was judgmental myself, my ego. Oh, I can fix this. That's not really being real. No, you can't. Get it straight in your head. And you're not asking the right question. If you ask the right question, you get the right answer. I wasn't asking the right questions. The real question should be, Rob, what is it that you see in this world? And what is it that you want? And why do you keep thinking you could fix everything around you? What part of your heart is broken in that way that you think you can be the fixer? What's going on with you? That should have been the real question to me. Because the emotion ties to the money. Oh, yeah. It's a big part of it. And it's an emotional thing. Money brings highs and lows to people emotionally. It feels security. I feel safe. But deep inside of you, do you feel safe? What's my current purpose, my why? And I didn't ask those questions. So you guys were on divergent paths. You get divorced. You have your awakening. You get really present with yourself. And then I was asking, how did that shift the relationship with your family around money? At that point, they became the center point. After I lost it all, my three kids, my son and my daughters, I have twin girls, really became very important. They were always important, but they moved to the surface. They became the reason why I do what I do. And I knew I was losing time and I needed to do something better. But I will tell you, my kids, when I look at their relationship with money, they're not like me. There's a great fear in what they do. They remind me so much of my mother. They're tremendous savers, all of them. They spend on very little things. And my daughters, especially, where they spend money, they buy it on gifts for their friends or for me. Their nature with money is a lot different. So do you think it's nature versus nurture? I don't know. But I know what they saw in their dad. I know they saw the things that went through, some of the things that they might have perceived. I won't know this till later because emotions are different. How often do you talk to your children about money? I've talked to them about stock plans because I have plans for college and what compounding interest is. We've had a conversation about that. I've tried to teach them a little bit about how do you set up a company and what daddy does and some of the dances within corporations, but they're not really all that curious. But in general, not that much. I mean, it'll come up basically if there's a need right now. And college is a big push right now. So college is like, okay, here's the funds. This is what we're looking at. This is the way you should look at your target. If you can help yourself here, you're going to expand this money. This is how we should do it. And I don't really put a lot of pressure on it because I like to think that the emotional comfortability of themselves will allow them to have a better relationship with money as they go forward. That's just my own lesson for Rod that I'm trying to put forward to them. It's a really important lesson. Our listeners know we we talk about this Often there's two sides of money, as you're pointing out. There's the technical side. How does it work? What do you do with it? And then there's the emotional side. And a lot of times in our society, we don't pay enough attention to the emotional side. And that's the part that drives us to make the decisions that we do. Some horrible decisions are made based in emotion that is not real thought out. That's how it usually happens. That's more what I've been dealing with. But my son, we do talk quite a bit now because he needs money. And so we're talking about his college and we're talking about summer school. And I'm telling him, see, my dad would never say this to me, but I told him, I said, you should really build your life and experiences and take this money. And you have a friend in Europe. You should go travel Europe. If I were you, that's what I would do. You have time to learn. But the experience of going on a backpacking trip through Switzerland and the Alps and Spain and seeing cultures that aren't yours, 
We need to be global citizens. That's really the conversation in this life. How do we see each other? And the only way you do that is changing where you are. If you get so comfortable in your silo, you will never reach out beyond, nor will you come up with great ideas, and nor will you be a better citizen in the world. That's my view. Does he want that? No. He said, Dad, I'm going to take summer school. So just so you know, even though I say these great, wonderful, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln-style speeches to my children, nah, no, I'm going to take summer school, Dad. It's okay. Thanks. Someday things will change, Rob. Don't give up hope. Don't. I think it's a great gift. I mean, you're planting seeds. Maybe it's next year. Maybe it's two years from now. You mentioned you're on a number of boards. You've got seven patents. You've got your hands in a lot of things. Talked about your why that you love helping people. Can you tie back this activity to your why? My theory of teaching people is a why, what, and a how. Everyone knows a how. You know what you want. So every business case that I've ever seen in my life will tell me, this is how we want to do it. We want to take shopping to the next level. That's great. So you have a number, you give me a metric, you can tell me the market size, beautiful. Any idiot MBA monkey can do that. Tell me why you're doing this. Well, my father was hungry. It was an emotional pull. So I want to feed. That's a why. Now you got me. Now tell me what the what is. Well, the what is now I want to take groceries and I want to feed it. There you go. Now we have a plan. Now we have a game. So now you showed me a piece of you that most people don't want to see because it's ugly. But get me to the ugly and we'll get there. And for me, I ultimately see this as a gift. I can see through people in a lot of ways. And I have an ability when I speak, and I've spoken a number of places, it's, this is what I do. On my team, I'm that CEO, and I'm the pitch guy. I look at other entrepreneurs, and I'm really big on helping brown and black and women. I actually had a meeting with this incredible group of women entrepreneurs. Her name's Gloria, Gloria Child. She's amazing. And she's battling because most businesses, most entrepreneurs, 1% are women. And it makes me sick because I got twin girls. So I say to myself, we're going to level that. Because I know there's a female Steve Jobs. I'm almost sure that if there's a Rob Rowe, there's got to be one of them out there too. I'm guaranteeing that. I'm going to take that shot. And so I tell them that. I tell them, I said, listen, I mean, I bet on the jockey, not the horse. I don't really care what you do. But I know one thing, we're going to get it right. And you're going to tell me who you are. If I get who you are, you will move me off the dime. In business school, they call it fear. I call it heart. Find that. Give me a hopeful reason to jump. That's the first step. The next step is to tell me what you do. And if I can get that what, then the how, you can market that. You look at Apple. What is Apple, really? It's a beautiful continuity of artistry and technology. And it makes us go into it. That was all Steve Jobs. He may not have done that. It's unintended consequence. But for me, it's an emotional thing. And that's why we do it. And for me, I've been given this tool where I can actually feel really well. And I have no problem accessing my emotions. That has never been an issue. And that's probably because of the ADH, because I couldn't really speak. I was always angry. So the emotions came first and that allowed me to go out. And I had a mother who was a cancer doctor who, that's what she did. She saw people at their worst and she always came back with a grin. My mom, always. Never was there a day that I ever saw my mother on a downslope. Never. She might've been, but I didn't know that. And she loved watching comedy. She loved herself from Robin Williams. She loved Richard Pryor. She liked John Blue. She, she liked John Candy. These were the people. She said, son, I never want to watch a serious movie with you. Never. That's not what I want. Wants to laugh. I want to see something that's going to make me laugh. That was the thing. And when you can see that in the people, then you see hope. And that's what I try to put in these boards that I sit on. I've got 
a lot of people. And that's where I start. I don't really start like most consultants and advisors. And I learned this from an advisor who's on my board. He's probably the most successful angel here. His name is Brad Horowitz, and he is a remarkable man. I mean, remarkable. His story is something that you can read about, but he'd been through quite a bit. And he's really good at listening. That's what he does. And he's really good at building the entrepreneur up. Even if he's not going to get involved, he will still do that. He's been my great mentor in this valley. And I met a lot of people that don't see like that, that see it just, Rob, give me, give me the fear, uncertainty, and doubt. That's great. It's a Stanford business class. I get that. That's not me. That's not what I do. And I don't want people to do that either. I think personally, when you make these investments, when you sit down at the war room, you're going to bet on that guy. You don't really know that the idea is there. But if that person, that male woman that's bringing something forward, you want to hear that. I like that. Buying on hope, not fear. Rob, you certainly brought the heart and the soul to this conversation, which is always the secret sauce to a really good money conversation. We're curious, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? I have some money conversations coming with my parents now that they're at a point that they're aging and I'm in the sandwich generation. I've got young kids going and I've got parents that are aging and we need to seriously think how this is going to play out. And this is where time is not your friend. To me, it's a small window where you can do all these things at once and money's a real piece of it. And aging parents, when you're heroes, I gave this talk at my college recently. Very rarely do you get a chance to honor the heroes that brought you there. What does that really mean? For me, it's loyalty. You do what you can to the people that you care about and you try to be there if you can. And that means you got to make real tough money sacrifices if you're going to do it. I'm struggling with that right at this moment. But those are the tougher conversations where I'm at as a mid-level guy trying to launch my company and then manage children. That's where you can see all the money pods that are playing in here. You have to have a really good relationship with money to understand that it's controlling a lot of this, what you do and not controlling you, but it controls some of these opportunities. And some things change and some things don't, but you try to be hopeful with it and you try to actually really lay out a plan. You can always have hope, but hope without passion or faith or direction is useless. It's not going to go anywhere. I love it. We're going to end on that. Rob, where's the best place for our listeners to find you? I think LinkedIn. LinkedIn is great. Powerful tool. Rob, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and being so open and honest. We really appreciate that. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.